0: Good morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've all probably heard somebody say to you, "We shouldn't use the word hate, right? Because hate is a strong word." Right? I'm sure you've done something in your life. You're like, "Oh, I hate that. I hate this," uh, and somebody's responded that way to you. Uh, but but we use that because we're really upset about something or we really dislike something and we are trying to communicate our feelings about how strongly we don't like something. But I think if we're honest, there are probably some things that you're like, you know what, I really do hate this. I'll give you three things that I hate. Okay, three things that I hate. And I know you're probably like, Adam, you're a pastor. You're not allowed to hate stuff. It's okay. I talk to God. He agrees with me. So we're on the same page. Uh, The first thing that I hate, uh, I hate olives. I just don't (laughs) like the taste of olives. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something about it. it. Even the littlest piece or the juice it you know I can just taste it on a, on a bite or or whatever food I feel like it can just it can just ruin whatever I'm eating and and Chris is always on me like what's the big deal and I'm like honey you don't understand like it's such just it's just such an overpowering taste to me and I just really don't like it you know and the worst part is when I go to the grocery store it's like there's an entire aisle devoted to olives have you ever noticed that there's 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 black olives and there's green olives and there's pitted olives. There's there's small, medium and large, some come in a can, some come in a jar. And they just taunt me every time I have to go down that aisle. So I I hate olives. The second thing I hate is face paint. I don't I don't like I don't like putting anything on my face. I don't know what it is, but, but I've always struggled. Like I, I actually feel like I get nauseous when I'm looking at people that have face paint on. So like if anybody's ever tried to put face paint on me, it's like, no, like get away. Like even if my own kids tried to do it, it was like, don't touch me. Uh, so, so Halloween is always a really difficult time for me. I'll tell you, I hated teaching those kids. And they would come in and they'd paint their face and for like 45 minutes, I'd have to teach this kid. I I cannot think of anything more terrifying than a professional circus clown who wants to paint their face for a living. So I I hate face paint, okay, I I just, I hate it. Uh, And the third thing, I I, I don't think I'll get much much flack for this, oh, but I hate the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. they, they walk around the country like, oh, we're America's team as if there's not like 30 other two, you know, 31 other teams here. They walk around like they're the greatest thing in the world, you know, and they're sprinkled all over the country. Like, I don't understand it. Like, they just magically show up all over the place. And they're always talking about what they did like 20, 30 years ago. And I'm like, listen, 20, 30 years ago, I learned how to ride a school bus and tie my shoes, but I don't pat myself on the back, right? Like, it's over and it's done with. Um, you know, the worst part is, I hear some of them are in this church. Don't look around. Don't look around. We know who they are. Okay? But, but those are things that I hate. Right. And I say that in jest. But as we go through the sermon today, God is going to tell us that there are things that he hates. And as we talk about the sermon series, again, the holiness of God. Again, we're, we're looking at the distinctive nature of who God is, how God has separated himself from sin and how God has separated himself from man and said, I am above Everything else in this world. That's what the idea of holiness means. And I want to keep taking us through this process, getting in a deeper and deeper level to understanding that vast chasm that exists between us and God. Because, again, the more that we understand that chasm, the more that we understand the magnitude and the gracious love of our Father who is in heaven. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Proverbs 6. Uh, Proverbs, again, is the is wisdom book. The first nine chapters, it deals with uh, a father speaking to his son. And he's basically saying to him, son, if you want to be wise, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to follow. Here's how you need to think. And in this discussion that this father is having with his son, We have this little part here in Proverbs chapter six, starting in in verse 16 here. It says there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Okay, so again, this is written, you know, it's a wisdom book. There's a little bit of kind of poetry to it. So it's, it's written in a, in a way that's not like the narratives, like the gospel or the book of Acts where we're just going through. But let's, let's work through this here. Now, the first thing we need to try to understand, and I know this is probably a confusing part for a lot of people, is, is it six or seven? Is God confused about his numbers? Well, well, first off, understand that when it says a lying tongue and a false witness, that's kind of a similar idea. So in a way, it's six, but it's also a list of seven. But the bigger idea to this, uh, it's think of it like when a kid uh, and they're, they're, they're arguing with another friend and to make his ultimate point, he goes, yeah, well, infinity. And then what does the next kid say? Well, infinity plus one. Right. And really what this is telling us is just it's kind of like God's like, no, there's six. No, 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 there's seven things. God is saying, listen, this is not the exhaustive list of things that I hate. All I'm telling you is for this passage, I'm going to make a point using these particular sins. But there's a whole lot of other sins that exist that God hates. And so that's the idea there. So if you're confused about the is it six or seven, That's just the idea. It's just a poetic way of saying there's a whole lot more stuff that I actually hate than than what I've listed in here. Okay, so first off, hate then. Hate is this idea, it's the intensity of turning away or against something. It, It literally is the concept that when we say we hate, you have now become the enemy against whatever that is. So so when God is talking about this, he's talking about things that are detestable. He uses the word. It's an abomination. He finds it disgusting. He finds it offensive against him. So like olives and face paint. Right. I I, I hate those things. They they detest me. They make me want to turn away from it. Right. I don't want it on my food and I don't want to have to look at it. Well. When God is talking about our sins, this is what's going on. God is saying, I hate your sins. And because I am a holy God, I have to turn myself away from those sins. But in the very same facet, it's the same thing for the world. Because, see, the world who lives in their sins looks at a holy God and is also repulsed by a holy God because they say, I hate that God, and then they turn their backs on God. But that's what hate does. So what are these actual things that he hates? Well, he starts with haughty eyes. Haughty is another word for just being high or lofty. It's essentially the word proud or being Full of pride. And it shouldn't surprise us that this is the first thing in the list. Because when we have a heart that is full of pride, and I'm not talking like, hey, I did a good job, but a heart that elevates me over the authority of God, or a heart that elevates me over my fellow man. What have we done? We've basically said to God, God, I am higher. No, no, God, I am better than you. And it destroys the essence of equality in mankind because it has you and I look at our fellow man and say, you are not as good as I am and I am better than you. One commentator said, no vice stands in sharper opposition To God than haughty eyes. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we are full of pride, that really sets us against God. He then goes on and he mentions a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. What what is this? This is this is the practical outworking of the actual words and actions that we commit. That's what it means when it says the, 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 lying, the lying tongue and the hands. And, and it's, it's an outworking of perversion of justice. And then he says, you have a heart that devises wicked schemes and feet that are quick to rush into evil. So now what we have is the mentality piece. You know, it's not like I just accidentally sinned and was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I sinned. But it's the fact that we are conscious and, and, and our minds are looking Towards sin, and, and it's not just that I'm looking for sin, but I have feet that are quick to rush into the sins. It's like we wake up and it's like, oh, I can't wait to sin today. I just can't wait for it. And then we have false witness and one who stirs up dissension. Now this is the relational piece, because what is a false witness? You're bringing a lie against someone else. And you're causing conflict or strife between you and another person. Right. So so now it's the social component of what goes on. So if we if we take a look at that list there, do you guys kind of catch what the what the author is doing here? He's literally saying from the top, the eyes, the mental piece, the lying tongue, the hands, the heart, The feet. God is saying from top to bottom, your entire body of sin is what I hate. Right. He's essentially covering every aspect by this list that he gives us. You know, I've mentioned that what I want to do on a year to year basis is that idea that the head, the heart and the hands. Right. Right. How, How do we grow in the knowledge of God How do we grow in a relationship with God and others, and how do we practically serve? That's what I want to do on a year-to-year basis. Well, this is the head, heart, and hands of sin. That every facet of our sins, God is saying, oh, I hate it. I hate every piece. I hate the way you think about it. I hate the way you speak about it. I hate the way that you engage in it. I hate sin. Now, I don't think this should be surprising to us if we understand what a holy God is, right? I mean, this is why Christ came down to die for our sins, to cover over that. But we need to understand the level of what sins do to us. So let's flip to another passage here. Uh, You guys can flip over to Colossians chapter three. Paul is writing to a group uh, of individuals. He's writing to a church where they've the first two chapters, the people in in Colossians are struggling with this new idea that's being tossed around and, and this legalism is being pushed upon them. And Paul's trying to help them work through that and say, no, no, no. The cross, Christ, that is sufficient. That's all you need. And then when he turns to chapter three, because he said, now that I've made my point, now how are we to live out our lives in the gospel? So chapter three, one through four. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he says, look, if you guys have died to Christ, as Christ has been resurrected from the dead, so your life has also been resurrected in Christ. And your life is now hidden in Christ. What does that mean that our life is hidden in Christ? That when God looks at us, And all of that sin from top to bottom that was there has now been hidden behind Christ who stands in front of us, whose blood has covered over us. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sins, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, we will be exalted. We will be glorified in the heavens as Christ himself has been glorified. But but notice the author's piece here about this. What are we to do? You you set your heart. You you set your mind where? Not on the things of this world, but on the things of above. When when we set our hearts and our minds, it's a way of having an intense focus upon that. It's a way of saying, I am going to honor and, and exalt what it is that God wants from me. And then he gets more specific here in verses 5 through 10. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the lives you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of the creator. God says, I hate these things. I hate this. I hate your immorality. I hate your idolatry. I hate your slander and your lying tongues. I hate your anger and I hate your greed. And because you have now been in Christ, you are to put these things off. Right? You, you can't live in the flesh anymore when you are now of the spirit. I can't live in the earthly world if I'm supposed to be living in the heavenly realms. They are two things that are not compatible. Quite frankly, they butt heads with each other. It's got to be one or the other. And what does he say? He says, put it to death. You are to kill your sins. You are to mortify your sin." Stop it completely. The mentalities, the actions, all of these things you need to put to death because in them they have absolutely no life. They have no value. They have no goodness. Quite frankly, you know what they do? They destroy our lives and the lives of others. Instead of giving life, our sins take life from us and from the people around us. So you need to put it to death. Why? Well, what what does it say there in verse six? Why do I need to put sins to death? Because the wrath of God is coming. God says, I hate sin, but he just doesn't turn his back and say, I'm just going to let it linger. God turns his back and he says, just so you know, I'm coming back one day and I'm going to deal with that sin. And we don't want to be on the wrong side of God's wrath. Because it makes us an enemy of God. James 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose God or are we going to choose the world? Again, I can't be both. And when that wrath is coming, he gives us a little bit more in Revelation. He talks about all these things that he hates the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters and liars, they are all consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We will all die physically. We all know that. That is inevitable. But what becomes of the soul of man? Those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who acknowledge their sins and have begged for God's forgiveness and have had a transformation of the heart to live for him. He welcomes us into his kingdom. But those of us who continue to hate God and choose to live in our sins. God says the wrath that comes is the fiery furnace of hell. And again, that's not God's desire for us. But if you are going to hate God, that is where you are destined to go. Because sin leads to death. And he says, you need to put a stop to it. You need to put sin to death and not let it kill you. John Owen was an English pastor and theologian. And in 16. 56, he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. He addresses the very nature of this sermon and why we have to put sin to death. And and this is what he says. He says, To mortify sin is to take away the principle of all its strength, vigor, and power so that it cannot act or exert or put forth proper actings of its own. See, we have to put sin to death. Because if we don't put sin to death in our lives, it holds a power and an influence over us. It it works in our lives and it exerts us to do the things that God doesn't want us to do. And then he later writes, Every unmortified sin will certainly do two things. One, it will weaken the soul and deprive it of its vigor. And two... It will darken the soul and deprive it of its comfort and peace. See, if we don't address sin in our lives and we just let it sit there, it begins to grow. It begins to fester inside of us. And it takes away our strength, it takes away our comfort, it takes away our peace. It doesn't just lead us to a place of eternal condemnation, but it kills us now in the world in which we live. It robs us all of the joy that the cross was supposed to be for us. And so instead of walking around with a life of happiness and comfort and an understanding of what is to come, we live a life of drudgery and pain. We create our own turmoil in our own hearts. And then Owens goes on and he says, this is the problem. He says, in particular, lust gets its strength by temptation. When suitable temptation falls in line with a lust, the lust obtains a new life, vigor, power, violence, and rage that has not seemed capable of before. See, I don't think we hate sin the way that God hates it. What do we do with sin in our lives? We tolerate it. We dance around with it. We play with it. We tell sin, it's okay. You can hang out. I I can handle you. And all we're doing is allowing that sin to grow in our lives, to get bigger and bigger, and to consume us more and more. So instead of mortifying it, we become friends with it. Let me, let me just give you some very simple, practical examples of, of what I mean. And understand, guys, I am no saint. Again, I, I have to prepare these messages. And I wrestle probably more than anybody about the words that I preach and then the things that God asked me to do. Think, think about the movies that you've watched lately. Think about the shows that you've watched. Maybe the music that you've listened to. Maybe a joke that you made with your friends recently. If God was to to be there, if Christ was to be sitting next to you when you watch that television show, would you be embarrassed? If God was sitting in the passenger seat of the car and you had that song playing. How quick would you reach to turn the radio off? See, that's what that's what I'm talking about. We go, "Ah, that's not a big deal. And we just just let it hang out. Or how many times does sin rear its ugly head in our lives? and, And instead of addressing it, we instead blame it on someone else as if it's not our fault. Or how many times do I even refuse to acknowledge sin because I'm too proud in my life To admit that it's there. We say we hate sin. We talk about we want to follow Christ. But do we? Is that evidenced in our lives, in our day to day basis, and how we go about the things that we do? You know, we act like we feel remorse, we act like we feel sorry. I think the reality is too often, sometimes I think we enjoy sin too much to put it to death. I think, again, we're just too proud to admit who we actually are. Okay, Adam, so how do I put sin to death? If your mind is going right now of the things that you need to address, what do I do about it? Well, there's there's some practical things that we can do to put sin to death. The first thing that we need to realize, guys, is it only happens through the power of Jesus Christ. We have to come to the feet of the cross and we have to bear our sins before God and say, God, I need you to take this from me. I, I need you to work in my life. Because I can't do this on my own. If I could have dealt with sin, we wouldn't have needed a savior at the cross. But Christ understood that. Romans 8 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. As so I said, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that sin can be eradicated through our lives. So when I say, come to the feet of the cross, what does that mean? It means that every single day I am communion with the Father and I am praying to him and pleading with him, Lord, please help me through this. And I'm in my word and I'm reading because I'm saying, God, I need to know what it is that has to happen. And I'm praying and I'm praying with him. There is a constant awareness of the sins that we have and a constant confession to say the moment that I am aware, God, I am bringing it for you to take out of my life. I'm not going to wait another second longer because it doesn't have a moment in my life. And so we plead with the spirit and we submit our lives. We say, here you go, Christ. You don't have a part of me. You got all of me. Whatever I need to change, I'm going to change. The second thing we need to do is actually take the physical steps. Take the actual active step that you need to do to change it. So if you struggle with alcohol. Don't have it in your house. Pour it down the drain. You guys remember the, the movie with Kurt Cameron, Fireproof? And he, he struggles with watching inappropriate things on the computer. And what does he do? He physically picks up the computer and he walks out and he throws it into his trash and his neighbor's just staring at him. Maybe we need to cut the television. Stop the streaming services. Maybe what you need to cut out in your life is the friends that you've been hanging out with. Well, Wait a minute, Adam. If I'm supposed to witness to this world, though, how are those people supposed to know about Jesus if I'm not hanging out with them? Well, let me ask you this. If your friends are changing you and you are not pointing them to Christ, then you're not being a witness either way. And maybe that's the best thing you need to do is cut those ties. Right? What, what is the practical step that you can do? And the third thing, we need each other. James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, I, I, I can say, go dump the alcohol down the drain. I can say, cut the, t- the, the streaming service. I can say, stop calling that friend and make it sound like it's easy. But get it? I get it, guys, it's not. Those are difficult things because, as I've said, sin exerts a power in our lives that makes it hard for us to do that. And that's why we need our brothers and sisters. Because I can come to them and I can confess and say, listen, I'm struggling here and I can't do this on my own. I need you to help me. And if the fear is that when we say that, that our brothers and sisters are going to steer their nose and snicker at us, then you're sadly mistaken about what brothers and sisters are supposed to do. Because if somebody comes to us with a personal, emotional issue like that, that they're going to come before us and they're going to lay their heart before us, guys, you better believe the first thing you need to do is to hug them, embrace them. Because Christ has already convicted their heart. They don't need you to judge them anymore. But we need each other. The mortification of sin was done at the cross. right? Those of us who have put our faith in Christ positionally, our heaven is ours. But we walk the presence of this earthly world and sin is all around us. It is a day to day battle that we must face. So again, I titled the sermon, Do You Hate Sin? With a question mark. It's a question that's left up to you. Do you despise it? Do you actually detest it in your life? Have you given any thought to the destructive nature that exists? Not just for you, but for the people around you. Do you realize the severity of our sins before a holy God and the wrath that awaits do we process sin on a day-to-day basis that way? Or again, do we just look at sin and go, I made a mistake and God, I'm sorry, and I'll keep doing what I'm doing. So are we going to fall at the feet of Christ and pray and take the steps and let our brothers and sisters know that we need help? Or are we going to take the sermon and take the word of God and completely ignore it because I don't want to deal with it. This is a weighty topic. And I, and I don't want us to feel the burden of guilt. I want us to be convicted of our sins. Because God has something better for you. So I, I don't want to just end this like a hammer has come down from you from the word of God. So let me, let me offer a little bit of encouragement again from the holiness of our God. Romans 5, 9 and 10. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? God said, I hate sin, and to hate is to be the enemy of God. And God said, you were my enemy in your sin. But guess what? I loved you so much that in the state of your sin, I sent my son to die on that cross so that you wouldn't find death, but know that you would find life. That is where we hang our hat. That is what we remember in those times. Yes, we will struggle with sin, Yes, sometimes it will be harder than others, but by the grace of God we can be saved through what he has done. And that's what he wants for us. And so I end with Proverbs 7:13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. If we understand who God is, then yes, we should hate the evil and the sin in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, uh, perfection was only done by you. Perfection is not who we are, but yet in you, we can find our perfection. And Lord, heaven awaits us. And we are so grateful for that. But Lord, you've also called us to walk this journey now. And Lord, I pray that if we are struggling with a, uh, an unresolved sin in our life, if we are wrestling with an unconfessed sin, that God, we, we wouldn't allow it one more moment to go on in our lives. But that we would confess that to you. And if that's not enough, Father, that we would be willing to grab a brother and sister and say, I just need to be honest with you, I'm struggling Here's a sin in my life that has plagued me and I need help. But grace and all glory to you, Father, that even in the state of our sins, you still loved, that you shed your blood on the cross for us. Let there be transformation of our hearts that are in word and deed. And from the very lips come a joyful praise of your salvation. Amen.